You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Peeves is brought to you by Petco.com. Petco is a leading specialty retailer of premium pet food supplies and services, offering more than 10,000 high-quality pet-related products. Enter the code PEEVES10, P-E-E-V-E-S, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Showjob. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shodry, and tis the season for hurricanes. And actually, recently, the anniversary of Killer Katrina. Yes, that storm. You think the story's been put to bed? Well, that brings me to my rant of the week. Every pet owner loves their animals. Those who live in disaster-prone areas learn very quickly the do's and don'ts of preparation in case of emergency or, heaven forbid, evacuation. But there's wildfires, floods, tornadoes, earthquakes, and those other dire happenings have a way of screwing up all of those best-made plans. Listen, folks, there's a reason it's called a disaster, but that word falls short when it comes to the devastation that befell the people of New Orleans. You can't discount the loss of lives, loss of property, the livelihoods wiped out, not by the hurricane itself, but by the flooding that came after. But it was the other victims, the silent screams of the animals that continue to haunt many of us, especially their owners who lost them and the rescuers who tried to save them. What's particularly heartbreaking The people who loved their pets thought they did everything right. And then they got blamed for doing nothing wrong. And on top of that, they lost their beloved animals. So much of the horror remains untold. It's a story I don't want to know. I didn't want to read about this. But any caring animal lover needs to understand so that it will never happen again. Today's guest lived through Katrina. She was on the front line of the aftermath, rescuing animals. Karen Atul is a screenwriter who lived in L.A. when she first became aware of Katrina on September 2nd, 2005. Actually, that was several days after the brutal August 29th battering of New Orleans. Her new book, Orphans of Katrina, Inside the World's Biggest Animal Rescue, is a moving, devastating, and uplifting scrapbook of stories, observations, and photos from her insider's experience of the aftermath. So, call all your dogs and cats, and come, sit, stay, and we'll be right back with Karen O'Toole after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pet Peeves is brought to you by 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. 
1-800-PET-MEDS is your best source for pet medications, vitamins, supplements, and pet supplies. Get great savings, fast service, and free shipping. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Peeves, P-E-E-V-E-S, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves, so here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio, and, and help me welcome Karen O'Toole, the author of Orphans of Katrina. Thanks for coming to the show, Karen. It's my pleasure, believe me. I always like to ask, before we get started, Karen, tell a little bit about yourself. What dogs or cats or, or other critters share your life right now? Right now, I have a little tiny dog named Rudy who's on the cover of the book. He's the little cover boy, and it's gone to his head. I have three <laughs> cats. Two, yeah, two are from Katrina. And oddly, I have a feral living in my house that came down through the garden into the back door. And for a year, I've had this completely feral cat. I don't know if it's a girl or a boy. I haven't gotten that close to it. <laughs> it hides all day, sneaks out at night to eat. And uh, so that's kind of amazing. And I, I just adore her, though, because she's so different. You know, she's just a little feral. Well, let's so. put it in perspective a little bit. What was your life like before Katrina, and what was it about that hurricane that struck such a chord so that you just literally dropped everything and went? Uh, yes, and a lot of people, thank God, a lot of people did that. Not enough, but I was uh, I was in L.A., and I actually was playing. I was just, you know, I was taking boxing during the day, and I was just involved in my own silly little things. I was taking chess classes because I just could never play, and, you know, I wasn't really doing anything. I was off work. I work in film, and either you're on or off, and I was off, but um, so I was I was just wasting a lot of time, and I happened to turn on the TV and see. At first, I thought it was a movie, and then I realized, wow, it's a, it's a city. It's an American city underwater, and what got me down there uh, was that the media was going by in these little boats, and they would pass, and you'd see a dog sitting on the roof, and they would keep going, and I thought, well, who's going to go get that dog, and I realized nobody was. And I knew it was bigger than sending 10 bucks to some organization and hoping that they could uh, use my money. I knew it was, they needed people. This was bigger than any organization. This was bigger than any money you could throw at it. So I raced to the Gulf right away. Well, what did you expect to find there? I didn't, I didn't know. Actually, I never, I never really thought about it. That's the funny thing in my book I mentioned. I'm on the plane thinking, what am I doing? Because I, I didn't know if I could get in the city. And at that time, you know, the very first responders 
everybody was trying to get out of the city. There was the looters, the cops had shot four people. Um, most of the police force had left. They said the water was toxic enough to kill you, that the air itself was, you know, toxic. So I thought to myself, I'm fighting to get into the city. I knew the military was blocking all roads. So I, I didn't know what I expected, I, but I just had such a passion to, to pull that dog off that roof and that cat out of that tree. And there was a woman on TV saying that 60% of all homes own animals, and most own multiple animals. So when you see a helicopter panning over a flooded city, you, know, you realize, wow, 60% of those homes have animals inside. So it, 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 it had to be boots on the ground, and, uh, you know, I felt that I had the time and, and the interest and the passion, and I had to go. Well, I know that there are people out, I hear this every day, I, you know, I'm guilty of saying this myself, I'd never leave my pets, but you know, I wasn't there, they weren't there. What was the reality? I mean, I saw it on TV, people finally evacuated out, clutching their dogs and, and being forced to leave them behind. What was the deal? Well, that's the thing, too, is that a lot of people condemned those of the Gulf saying, you know, they just left their animals and I would never leave my animal. But there were a lot of things. First of all, some people weren't even in the city when it happened. So, you know, you travel and you go away for two weeks and your cats are home. So, boom, there's those people. Then there's the people that actually didn't really care about their animals. They're very, very few. I mean, they were still tied outside because that's where they live, the tethered and chained animals that we found. 90% of the people, first of all, the statistic is that 40% of the people that stayed in the city stayed to be with their pets, and many of those people died with their animals. Um, the rest of the people, they go through hurricanes every year, so it's no big deal. And when you evacuate an entire city, imagine the city that you're in, everybody evacuates. There's the traffic. You stop at a Circle K to get something to drink, and there's 200 people online. You can't use bathrooms. People run out of gas. The gas prices skyrocket. You have to pay for hotels. It costs a lot of money. And on the Gulf, nothing ever happens. So most of the time, people have learned. They've left once or twice, and they thought, then what? I go back home again? Forget it. I'll just stay. And actually, Katrina did very, very little damage, but it was the levees. So they were right in most of them in in in, in staying. You know, they uh, I know some people that left every year, and this is the first time they stayed. So every story is different, but it wasn't about them not loving their pets. The other thing is is that they were told, um, you know, the glass, the pane glass will break and fly yes. in. So keep your animals in a cage or lock them in the back room. So at first, even as rescuers. Remember, now we have no electricity, we have no internet down there, the cell phone towers are down, so we have really no cell phone communication. We're not connected to the outside world, and we'll go in a little bathroom and find six animals stuffed in there and think, wow, what, what is with these people? They're in the pitch black. People left their toilets open thinking that the dogs and cats could drink out of the toilet. Well, the first thing that happened was all the pipes broke and all the sewage went back into the toilets. Oh, nothing God. Was drink yeah, nothing was drinkable. So suddenly, you, even we as rescuers were thinking, this is a city full of animal abusers. You go on the second floor and you find cages and there's five dogs in the, in the big cage that can hardly move. Well, they thought they were protecting it. You know, they, they wouldn't run. They couldn't get away. They wouldn't get scared, you know. And they were coming back in a day or two. But they weren't. They weren't coming back for a month or two. So 
So not only did most of the animals die, but these people had to go back to their houses and find, for example, their four dogs melting into their comforter up on their bed where they all died together. Or cats always went into their litter boxes. You'd find four cats dead, snuggled in the litter boxes together because they felt safe. They all died there. So these people who did love their animals went back and were horrified to find their beloved pets feeling secure on their bed where they always slept with their master. And then, you know, there they were dead. So these people are scarred for life. And it, it wasn't about not loving their animals. Well, what about, I know there was lots of information here on the outside, these big organized rescue groups that were going, you could give money, they had mobilized, they had all of this stuff going on. How was your work different than that? I know that, you know, HSUS and Best Friends, there were a lot of people that were there trying to help out. How was your group different Well, the groups that were in the city were very different from the big national organizations. And by the way, the HSUS, um, they were were investigated by uh, Louisiana, by the Attorney General, because they were given a windfall in in the three months after Katrina. The generous United States uh, all wanted to help the animals and didn't know how to do it, so they sent money to the HSUS. Uh, I won't go into it, but I will say that there is probably no rescuer that I know, certainly on the ground, that will donate to the HSUS at this point. But anyway, that said, and I think that's important to know, and this is my opinion, but um, we were we were called renegade rescuers. We were living on the streets, breaking and entering houses all day long. The bigger groups, best friends, um, HSUS, et cetera, Posado, they were up north. It was almost like the more equipment you had, the further up north you would stay. And But as individuals, you could break into the city. You could get past the guards. And sometimes you just had to write animal rescue on your car, and they would know that, wow, they knew the animals were dying, and they were glad someone was showing up to help them. And, you know, they don't know who's official and who isn't. So anyway, we would, once, we were, once in the city, we lived on the streets, and every day, again, there's no electricity, there's no light, so you could work from sun up to sundown, and then it's pitch black. So we would just break and enter all day. Now, the groups up north, we would send the animals up there, and sometimes they would let a few uh, of their people down into the city. Um, it was very difficult to get in and out of the city, so it was hard for them. So really... I really, you know, I have to say that most of the work was done by the the rogue or renegade rescuers living on the streets. And we didn't have supplies. We didn't get money from anyone. And we would have to steal the the food and all from the the local Walmart and the the local um, Walgreens or the Winn-Dixie parking lot where we lived or, you know, and things like that. We, We weren't getting dry clothes. We weren't getting supplies. We weren't getting money. As a matter of fact, um, the HSUS tried to close us down and sent uh, the LASPCA to check all our paperwork to see if we were actually allowed to be in the city, which of course we weren't. So, um, you know, it was, it was, there was a struggle between certain big groups and those of us who were living on the streets. There was, it's almost, it was almost like a power struggle of who's more important and, you know, and I don't, I'm not here to knock the HSUS, but they're not a they're not a government organization. They're a private nonprofit, and they really have no right to say who can and cannot be in a city. So, you know, there were a lot of issues between the groups, and um, unfortunately, a, a lot of bad blood, which was crazy because we were all there to help the animals. There right. was a lot of problems with, with paperwork. There was a lot of, 
you know, when you're living on the streets and there's no electricity, there's no animal pickup, there's no, you know, dead animal pickup, there's no garbage pickup, there's nothing. Basically, you have these lone volunteers, like a vet might come in for a week and leave, and a vet tech would take over, and rescuers would come and go. Um, some rescuers would literally stay 24 hours and then run out of the city because it wasn't a place for everyone. You, you know, not everyone could who had great aspirations and passions could live and work in that city because it was so dire and desperate and deadly and and horrific and two rescuers committed suicide to animal rescuers it was that bad so you know sometimes you would lose um, rescuers right away um, and sometimes people like myself and others stayed for months and you know it was a very surreal place to be it was very okay. very surreal Okay, well, on that note, we're going to take a brief break and then come back and continue our conversation with Karen O'Toole. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pet Peeves is brought to you by Pet Care Rx, America's most affordable pet pharmacy. Pet Care Rx offers the same meds as top vets, but with a savings up to 50%. And if you find a lower price on a certified EPA and FDA-approved medication, Pet Care Rx will match that price. So go to PetCareRx.com. Use promo code PEEVES10, P-E-E-V-E-S, the number 10, and receive $10 off orders of $50 or more. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. PetLifeRadio.com We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves, so here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back, and again, speaking with Karen O'Toole, uh, an animal rescuer who lived in New Orleans on the street for weeks while helping to rescue the animals of Katrina. Karen, I know th- there were literally thousands and thousands of homes left abandoned with animals inside, but they were locked up tight. How did you know yeah. which ones had animals inside? How could I know you said you, you were breaking and entering, and the book is interesting. You said you got pretty good at it, but how did you know which animals, which ones had animals? That, that was the biggest problem. 
in that city is that nobody knew where the animals were. So if you go to a development and there could be, you know, four or five hundred homes, just a whole area of the city, a whole district of the city, let's say, and you didn't know where the animals were. And because the the water had moved everything, you might see a dog a, a dog house in front of a house. Well, that doesn't mean that there's a dog there. That could have come from 20 houses away. Or you see beware of dog. At first, we were excited to see that, okay, yeah, there's a dog here. But then you realize that a lot of these are just scare tactics, and there was no animal there. So you spend Uh. a lot of time, you know, looking for... We have what was called, what the military called, situational awareness, where you become very, very aware of sight and sound in a disaster. So we would look for somebody might have a little porcelain chihuahua three inches in a window. We'd say, okay, maybe they have animals. Or somebody might have a cement bird fountain in their front lawn that, you know, you know is still still there and hadn't moved. But, and you think, okay, nature lovers, they like birds, they're, they're taking care of birds, maybe they have dogs or cats. So you had to try to figure out, it was a citywide guessing game, and we were definitely losing, because you might break into, to, you know, 10 houses on a street, and miss 10, and for all you know, you missed, five of those houses had animals and multiple, multiple pets inside, and you missed it, and you just didn't know where they were. And the harder a house was to break into, if it had lots of bars and things, you you would and uh, you know steel doors and and sh- some hurricane shutters, you just wouldn't break into it because it was just too much effort and we were exhausted. We were individuals breaking into a city, so you might pass that house and it might have five dogs sitting at the front door, hearing you, you know, wagging their tails, waiting. And and so often we would find, you'd go into a house and at the back door there'd be like a little small dead animals and all the the nails have all the wood in it from the back door and the, the teeth he's uh, scratching and, and, and biting at the door and that back door is where his masters always let him out so he was trying to get out the back door and you know and he basically died right there we never found him and 20 rescuers might have passed that house and opened up the long houses and that's one thing we learned is you must mark your house uh, not on windows or anything breakable, but in permanent ink or paint and very large. Tell us where the animals are. I doubt this will ever happen again, but if it does, um, please uh, mark your house for us so we know where the animals were. The military was not telling us. Um, that was another misnomer. I was in a hospital at one time for a cat bite, and I overheard a local saying, I'm not worried because I heard the military's marking all houses where the animals are. That was absolutely not true. We had no way of knowing where they were. Um, on, the, on the same topic of um, marking your house so that your animal is, is found, please update your uh, microchips and things because a lot of the animals had, um, their, their people had moved, their phones were disconnected because of the whole disaster, and we would call the microchip number and the phones disconnected with no forwarding. So many animals that had microchips were lost to their owners forever because they didn't update their microchips immediately. Um, and, you know, so that was, that's something that you must do. Always update your information for your animal or they'll never find you again. I so. wanted to ask you also the difference between the dogs that were rescued and tell listeners about what you call the Hello Kitties. Yeah. 
Well, you know, first of all, dogs are barking to you, so you can find them sometimes. They'll bark to you. Uh, cats, their little quiet meows are unheard through the through the buildings. So it was always problematic to find cats. And cats, their very nature is, you know, you mostly see a cat from behind looking over its shoulder as it ran away from you. That was That's how you always saw cats because they were so scared. But we did occasionally have what I call the hello kitties. These are, these are cats that would come up to you with a meow and a rub on your leg and say, what's up, what's going on, why is this place looking like this, where's my dinner? And they were just, no amount of disaster was going to break their little spirit. But as you know, cats, most of them ran from us. And I, know, I only met what I call hello kitties, I only met about five or six the whole time I was there. The rest of them would run from us. And that's the other problem, too, is the military would break into a house and the cats would go hide. So then they would shut the door when they left or the door would shut on its own when they left and then the cats would be locked inside. And then we would come along in two or three weeks and find them, realizing that the house had been entered, there's military boots, and we'd, we'd find you know, three dead cats because they had no way to get out. It's another thing. Once, once any military or any rescue enters, you must leave the door open because you don't know what's hiding inside of that house. You know, so unfortunately, we learned some odd lessons about things that, you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think of. But cats, cats, I love the cats there. I have a, another story called Conversation with a Cat. Yes. Um, where I have this in-depth, you know, hour-long conversation with a cat. And, um, but there were a lot of the really sweet domestic cats became feral-like in no time. They uh, they really changed quickly, much much more quickly than the dogs. The cats are much more fearful in nature and scared, and this whole thing confused them so much. And you know they like they like continuity of places and things. They have their little habits. So something like this, where their house is gone and they're out on the streets and they don't see their their loving parents anymore. You know they. They got so scared. They were under all the buildings, impossible to find, and really hard to catch. It was a very, very bad situation for the cats. Most of the cats never made it out of that city, unfortunately. Well, I know Um, I attended a cat show in January after this. Well, I think a lot of it was still going on, but I was in January in Houston at a cat show, and this cat show always has rescue kitties around also. There were a number of them marked Katrina cats. These cats came in yeah. from, you know, of course, Rita came in after Katrina did. And so there were a lot of animals that were marked as these are rescues from Katrina. They found homes pretty quickly. And these yeah. dogs and cats ended up all over the country as a result of this. Now, this was great for them, but I want you also to to explain why was it all so bad? I mean, didn't this displace some other pets that in that kind yes. of adoption lottery? Yes, exactly. Uh, the Katrina pets came in with a built-in marketing uh, PR promo plan. I mean, they if you had the name Katrina on you, the, the United States was so distraught over this disaster and their inability to help. I think the fact that they, they felt paralyzed, there was nothing they could do. They could just watch. So when these animals came into their communities and they were Katrina pets, you know, the mothers would take their daughters and say, let's go get a Katrina animal and we'll help the gulf and these poor animals. Everybody wanted to help the Katrina animals. So again, they came in with a built-in 
top marketing media package, you know, whereas the other animal that was next to it, maybe the cat, the little black cat in the cage next to it, who had already been there for a week or two, or in some cases, three to five days is all they're given in a shelter. I, I shouldn't say shelter, I should say pound, because they're not shelters. You know, you don't shelter an animal there where you're going to kill it. But anyway, they basically lost their lives because the interest wasn't there. This little black cat, for example, that maybe would have been adopted, suddenly is next to a, a Katrina animal, and boom, that Katrina animal was adopted so quickly, and the rest suffered, and as rescuers seeing how, how over-jammed and over-populated the, the system is in the United States, we could actually be rescuing an animal, we look at each other and say, what are we doing? We're not rescuing this animal, we're killing another animal, and we, it was a really difficult thing, I mean, we... We didn't leave them and say, oh, but we realized that every time we rescued an animal, we were basically killing another animal somewhere in the United States. So, you know, it's just horrific, this whole, this whole thing of uh, overcrowded and, and, and not spay and neutering. Not, please, just spay and neuter. I beg of you, if anyone's listening who's on the border fence of whether or not, please do that. Because in the United States, birth equals death. If you have five kittens... Five kittens somewhere else are going to die. You'll find five homes for those. Five and a pound are going to lose their potential homes. So if you love animals, you need to spay and neuter, and you can save thousands of lives. Let's just cut right to the chase here. Why did you write the book? I wrote the book because I felt after seeing these animals and seeing the way they died alone, and I knew that, and I have a story called City of Sorrow, that, you know, there's their final screams unheard, um, their final moments unknown, and I had to tell their tale. And there were, uh, there, were, there were two other books out. One was a beautiful, glossy book of animals swimming to safety, and another was all res- happy rescues. Well, that's not what happened in the city. People didn't realize the massacres in St. Bernard Parish uh, where the police shot you know, all the, the people's dogs when they cats when they left them to go fly, you know, fly away on helicopters. They didn't want to watch the animals, so they just shot them all. And then, you know, the parrots were stolen out of the city, and people came in to take the aggressive, saying they were going to work with them, and instead left them in fields in Arkansas to die. And just the whole story of how these people did not desert their animals and, you know, did care about their animals, and just the horses and the wildlife and the cows and all the animals that weren't represented, that, you know, no one really knew the story. And... I just had to tell it. I just had to tell it all, and um, and I did. So, what do you hope will happen as a result of writing and publishing this book? What's the biggest takeaway message here that we can change this? I know that you know yes. there have been some new laws now as a result of this. I mean, for at least if a disaster happens again, people are not going to be told you may not get your animals. That's right, because uh, Bush passed a law, uh, he basically had to, but, you know, and I'm glad he did, but it basically says that the states will get FEMA money if they have an evacuation plan for the people and pets. If they don't, they lose the money. So all states are obviously want this, this funding, so they've, they've put together these programs. I think the thing that the, the most important thing I want everyone just to, to realize is that, you know, when I was a kid, there was a poem by Rudyard Kipling, and there was one line that I never, ever forgot, and it was, the squirrel that you kill in jest dies in earnest. 
And it's just that these animals are really losing the only thing they have, their life. So spay and neuter. Don't buy from a puppy mill or some corner breeder or some backyard breeder. Go to the pound and save the, some little animal that will, will be your, your heartthrob and your soulmate who's sitting there right now. You know, we've got to start taking these animals out of pounds, working with them, saving their lives, spaying and neutering. If we all became really responsible like that, you know, go to a pound, walk a dog. It might be its last walk ever. You know, play in the, in, with the cats and the catteries there. And, you know, volunteer if you have no money. I have in my book resources, I have hundreds of things you can do with no money, from home even, to help animals around this nation. And we just have to, you know, really realize that all that, that's all they have is, is their little life and just let's try to help them preserve it, you know, rather than, it seems like everyone is working against them. You know, we have to just, <laughs> just care for them, you know. Okay, Karen O'Toole's book, Orphans of Katrina, Inside the World's Biggest Animal Rescue. You can find this book where, Karen? Tell us where we can well, get you, this. It, yeah, it's on Amazon.com. And by the way, I've got almost 20 reviews, all five stars. I have excellent reviews from all over the country. It's on Amazon.com. It's on Barnes & Noble. You can order it at your local bookstore. But it's actually on sale. It's actually cheaper now on Barnes & Noble or, um, or Amazon.com. It, you know, it's like $15 or something on sale right now. So, uh, it's, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm just happy every time anyone reads it and writes to me that, that, that got it. Actually, it was an interesting thing. A woman was always, um, she hated strays. She told her sister, don't feed those strays. Don't encourage them. And in my book, I talk about please help the strays. And she came to a book signing and she said, I totally turned her around because she realized these are just poor animals that are struggling. They're not vermin, you know, don't, don't encourage them. So even when one person makes a small change and decides to feed strays, I'm thrilled to death. I've done my job. All right. Well, folks, do take a look. Find the book, Orphans of Katrina by Karen O'Toole. And we are out of time, but I'd like to thank Karen and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. Oh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to the free Pet Peeves newsletter available at Shajai.com. Woofs and purrs until next time. Now, remember, our pets offer unconditional love. They want nothing more than to trust us to take care of them. Katrina was and continues to be devastating to the people and pets touched by the tragedy. But we can learn from these experiences. We can't stop Mother Nature from slapping us upside the head, but we can demand better resources and prepare ourselves for the worst. And one-on-one, we can save animals and make their lives better. It's what our animal family members deserve, and it's what they need. After all, you don't want your pets to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.